Hi, this is Tani Ato and Harja Growing Thunder, and this is the Curating Indigeneity podcast. We are going to backtrack a little bit today. We had a uh, malfunction on September the 4th, and so this will be the September 4th, 2018 recording and be listed on the podcast list as, I believe, episode 5. Today we have with us Shanae Bullock from the Shinnecock Tribe, and I will let you introduce yourself, Shanae. Hi, you guys will have to excuse my voice. Uh, my name is Shanae Bullock, and like Tony said, I come from the Shinnecock Tribe. I also um, descend from the Montauk Tribe, which is in Southampton, Long Island, New York. Um, my given name is the Kampanayu Mishun Netuyu Squaw, and that means I lead canoe, I'm butterfly woman. Great. Do you have a, a tribal introduction of yourself, or is that it? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I just basically said my name, but okay. my tribal was a duck, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, so I guess talking about today, let, let's see what we have up our sleeves. And first of all, we want to dedicate this episode to First American Art Magazine, a all-Native Indigenous magazine out of Norman, Oklahoma. They are sponsoring today's podcast, and also to our Patreon patrons, your dollar goes a long way, and make sure to uh, view us online at Anchor or to visit us on our social media. And getting back to Shanae here, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background of where you grew up and came from? And um, I know you had quite yeah. a childhood. Yeah, I actually, so I am what, um, so my dad is actually African. American and um, or most people would say black um, a lot of times I like to to use words that um, that are more familiar with people um, sometimes so either way I, I take it either way and then my mother is uh, Shinnecock she was born and raised on the Shinnecock Indian Reservation um, so my parents actually met in New York in college at FIT and then um, kind of the rest is history after that. Um, so, But my dad was in the military growing up. So I was blessed with the opportunity to travel the world. Um, I lived in places such as like Kamish Mache, Saudi Arabia, Philadelphia, Tennessee, um, North Carolina, Virginia, um, Atlanta, New York City, Phil- I mean, a lot, New Jersey, um, New York, Boston, Providence, Connecticut, a lot of places, pretty much almost every big city on the East Coast I've lived. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, growing up, my my parents always, always um, raised me to know exactly who I am. You know, I didn't live in the kind of household where, you know, you, you shunned one race and you only um, acknowledged the other. Um, it, I didn't grow up in that kind of household. I grew up in a household where my mom and dad said, you are Native American and you are African American. You know, so that way I didn't, you know, I was able to get the best of both worlds. My dad was, um, and still is, uh, affiliated with a number of different um, African American organizations, such as the Tuskegee Airmen um, Association um, and Kappa Alpha Psi. And my mother, the same thing. You know, she worked for the Delaware Valley Indian Council um, at the time, which was in Philadelphia. Um, And so I kind of grew up (laughs) 
you know, understanding black history and civil rights and, you know, the, the culture of African-Americans, but also growing up being taught my life ways as an indigenous woman from my mother. Um, so I was able to kind of get the best of, you know, what you call both worlds. Yeah, definitely. So living in all of those states, you're definitely East Coast. <laughs> yes. I mean, I've, I've taken a couple of times out west, but not to, like, not live more than, like, six months. Like, I never lived a full year out west, but there were times where, you know, I would go and live for a couple of months in different places, but nothing like, nothing like home, East Coast. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, well, uh, Shanae and I became friends uh, by working at... Uh, in museums. We're both museum professionals, and she and I were educators at the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Museum in Mashantucket, Connecticut, and she was my BFF right away. Um, She straight up came and found me and said, let's hang out, (laughs) just like on TV, (laughs) like they do on TV. And we've like, been. Hey, I don't have any friends. You want to be my friend? Yeah. Hey, I just got a lunchbox. What do you have for a lunchbox? Remember that one time when you got <laughs> choked and there was no water? <laughs> yeah. Girl was trying to rant and she got choked and there was no water. <laughs> Only way we could not not laugh, but we got her to be quiet. <laughs> but yeah, sorry you were dying and we laughed, but. Yeah. We've, we've, you've had some laughs on us, too, <laughs> yeah. especially yeah. me. Um, yeah, and we were uh, pretty thick when we were in um, in Connecticut, and that was hard for me being there because um, I'm from the Plains, and being in all those trees and getting lost, I remember uh, constantly being late because I was lost in the trees and the highways and didn't know the highways were highways. And uh, Shanae was really helpful with the kids right away and um, encouraging me where I, I might have second-guessed being that far away from home. But not only that, what really helped me was her spiritual guidance and leadership. And that's something that meant so much to me at that time. Um, because I was in graduate school, I was also um, contemplating my career and my my professionalism in the field and really what happened was that we both really realized that that was our calling this is where we belong and we were meant to be there during that time and during that that period of our lives and so you do you want to share more about your indigenous knowledge and cultural knowledge Um, one thing that I'd like for you to share is definitely about the Machoon Project because that's something that means so much to many of us that were there during that time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, I mean, just being, like, living all around the world, you know, home for me is where the heart is, you know, cliche. Um, and home is in the Northeast. Um, it's, you know, Long Island is where my tribal territory is. But, um, you know, the Long Island Sound is what divides Long Island and Connecticut. Um, And and at one point, a lot of people don't know this, but, um, you know, when the states were essentially kind of being formed in the Northeast, there was a a debate whether Long Island was going to be a part of New York or if it was going to be a part of Connecticut because it's connected to both. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just the Long Island Sound that actually divides it. Um, But it ended up being a part of New York. So we are not necessarily New England Indians, but we could have been (laughs) Mm -hmm. if we would have been um, in the state of uh, Connecticut. But we never put borders there. So, you know, speaking all around water, you know, our people in the Northeast, I come from a long line of whalers. You know, my direct lineage uh, wine dance, who at one point in time was the grand sachem of all of Long Island, he, uh, there are accounts that he and his, he inherited a canoe from his father, Mongatuxi, who was cited to, uh, the machine was cited to actually be the largest machine that was ever cited in the Long Island Sound, um, in history. Um, and so I come from that, that line. Um, when Tani was, Tani and I, when you were, when we were in um, Connecticut, um, there was a machine project. That, you know, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jonathan Perry, um, he had a vision of doing it for a while, and he finally was able to, to get um, the proper grant to do so. So they utilized the Mashantucket Pequot Museum to actually have a interactive exhibit where they were able to build a machine in the course of a couple of weeks. I mean, traditionally, you know, the machines are dug out, um, burned out within a couple of days, like five days straight, but just for demonstration purposes, you know, they actually just did it during the weekend. Mm-hmm. And they would burn it from, you know, the time the museum opens all the way until they close it, whatever, that Sunday. Um, and so I, had, I hadn't actually been working at the museum at the time. Um, but I had seen it and had heard about it, so I was like, you know, I'll go. I was actually headed to, I think, Yale um, University for a, um, for, I don't know, I was doing a presentation on Native American um, lifeways or leather work or something, and I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll stop through the museum and just come, and I put some tobacco in, in, in four different parts of the canoe. I put it in the in the bow, I put it in the stern, and I put it in the middle two in the middle, and I said some prayers because that was just something I had never seen. I mean, it literally was a huge tree, like, on its, like, side just being burnt out. And, and it was a poplar seen, tree, right? Yes, yeah, a yeah. poplar tree, you mm-hmm. know, and I had seen, and the men that I had seen working on it were men that I have known all my life, and and all my life I've known them to build machines, and I just was so... Um, happy to and and just like you know just to see and witness that experience just witness it mm-hmm. so I asked them you know me like so okay so what are you, what are you guys going to do you just, uh, just paddle this thing you just, just burning this thing out just to show you know <laughs> they're like no we're, we're thinking we're thinking about paddling it so I was just like poking their brain like you know like what would that look like you know kind of thing and then um when the canoe was finished I had got a, um, an email from the director of the museum at the time um, who asked me to be to battle. And I was, like, completely floored and, like, honored. Like, wow, you're asking me to paddle this? Like, I mean, you know, in the beginning of the, this interview, I did say the Kampanayu Mishuna Tuyusqua, you know, Mishun being canoe, you know, I lead canoe, I'm butterfly woman. You know, it's just in my blood, you know. Mm-hmm. Prior to this, this machine, Nukemis, being um, built, 
I had actually paddled from Shinnecock, um, which is on the south shore of Long Island, and then not only the south shore, the, the Shinnecock um, Bay on the opposite side of the bay, um, I went the furthest that you could go from Shinnecock to the Pequot and the, the Mohican Territory about two years prior, two or three years prior to that canoe being dug out. So there had been a lot of um, paddle journeys and sacred paddles and prayer paddles and warrior paddles that I had, had actually already been in. So there's already, like, people already know that this is the type of work that I, I live for. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, a, you know, to, I was just like, yeah, sure, I'll paddle. And then when I came over there, just to see, like, how it was done, we, it was very traditional. You know, we all circled up. Of course, at the, at the time, I mean, there was just myself and there was Leah uh, Hopkins, who's Narragansett. Uh, we were the only women. And I was so happy to see another woman because in most of the canoe journeys um, that we've been doing here on the East Coast, there really haven't been... Um, Sometimes, like the like the long journeys, there's not always a lot of women, mm-hmm. and um, they're starting to be, you know, um, and starting to be a balance, you know, especially being matriarchal. It's only right, you know. Men weren't the only ones that traveled; women did too. Mm-hmm. And um, so we all got in the, you know, we all circled up, um, and we were at the Mystic uh, Seaport, Mystic River Seaport, and. Um, what happened was we all circled up. We were on the top deck, and then we had to kind of go down to a lower deck where the machine was. And um, so we had about 14 people. And Darius was the skipper. Uh, no, actually, um, Darius was the, the power puller, and um, Jonathan Perry was the skipper. And they looked at each other, and they were pointing to where everybody was supposed to go in the canoe because – you don't just get yourself in the canoe. You have to wait for direction from whoever is going to be skipping the canoe because the skipper should should have the ability to determine the weight of people and to determine the strength of people. Um, and uh, so they pointed me to sit in the bow, and that was only right because, like I said, my name is what it is. But what they explained to me is we didn't put you in this to necessarily be in the front we put you in the front because the canoe was so large that, you know, if anything happens while you're out there, you physically have to turn around in your own seat in the canoe. Therefore, the person that is in the front now becomes the person that is in the back mm-hmm. and is skipping the canoe. So they trusted my skill level that much, and I just felt so honored for them to look at me as a captain, as, as to look at me as someone that has had experience you know, in the waters, and um, so that was the first uh, the first time we took that canoe out. So we paddled, you know, right in that area. Those listeners that are listening, um, right directly across from where that dock is, is a hill, and that hill is the hill that the Pequot massacre took place, where they burned down the Palisade in sixteen sixty two. Um, they burned the Palisade down, and um, well, actually, sixteen sixty-four. Yeah, they burned the Palisade down with over seven hundred women and children within an hour, and that was directly across. I mean, you literally could actually swim across. It's not that wide. Um, 
you know, it's it's not that wide. So there was a lot of emotions happening during that day because in the canoe you had myself from Shinnecock. I also represent Montauk. You had Narragansett represented. You had Nipmuc represented. You had a gentleman from Columbia, indigenous man from Columbia. You had Scatacoke, Mohegan, Mohegan, um, Wampanoag, Aquina Wampanoag, you know, Mashpee Wampanoag. You had a lot of different, you know, um, communities who had blood um, ties to that land, to that water, to that tree. And it was just so beautiful, you know, and, mm-hmm. and um, I was so honored to be able to paddle in that canoe. And, and the machine's name is uh, Nukamis, which represents grandmother, and it's only right because the grandmother, she is the vessel for communication. She holds us. She gets us to where we need to go, and she connects us all, all of our sister tribes. And um, I took that very, 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 very seriously, you know. And, um, you know, after that, a lot of things changed around the canoe, you know, um, but I, I really took that really serious, and I still take that type of work um, serious. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's the sharing of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, and that was the first time that a, a Mashoon had been paddled in that area, correct, in about a certain amount of years? In that particular area? Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to say no, but I will say that that is the first of its length and size. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when we were working at Plymouth, Plymouth Plantation, mm-hmm. they've been making machines for over, shoot, it's almost 50 years that they've been making um, machines in Plymouth. When I worked at Plymouth, they usually make about two or three machines a year. Oh, really? Uh, oh. Mm-hmm. But nothing on that capacity level. Usually the machines that they make usually hold anywhere from, you know, two to three or four people. Mm-hmm. There may have been some that hold seven, but that, Machine held fourteen people. That is that's a good a, size. Yeah. That's a bit, yeah, that's a big machine. Yeah, well, that that's I I, I kind of tear up thinking about it because it it was just something amazing to see for myself because I come from an area where there's no water. Um, yeah, I mean out out in southwest Oklahoma, and to even know the power of the the ocean. And to know the strength of what it has, and I, I'm a grown person who never learned to swim because there's just no water, and it was hard wow. for me not to to be able to participate. But not only that, the magnitude of the strength and the power and the spirituality of the water was something that that was really different for me to experience. But not only that, when the Hukalea had come from Hawaii, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. the Hukalea group was a. Well, I'll let you explain it. You probably know more than I do. Yeah, the Hukalea. Um, well, actually, I found out about the Hukalea not working at the Pequot Museum, but um, our youth council, the Shinnecock Indian Youth Council, had reached out to. And, and, and yeah, they had. They had made, they reached out to um, the, the, youth, the youth of the Hukalea Voyage Society at the UN several years back. Mm-hmm. They had made a cultural connection. And so it was something that the youth on both sides wanted to do. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they, were, they had already decided that they were going to come to 
the UN for World in um, World Oceans Day, and um, the the Hukalea did. They were going to make that stop into the uh, World Trade Center and have a ceremony there. But when they found out that the Shinnecocks were living on Long Island, you know, um, they wanted to make a connection as well. So they came to, you know, so the Youth Council decided that they wanted to paddle to greet the Hukalea as, you know, because that's our traditional way. When people come into your water, you know, you are supposed to greet them before they come ashore and then bring them in. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did in New York. We actually paddled from, um, well, I, I wasn't going to paddle. I was like, you know, I'm just like, you do it. But the skipper of the canoe said, no, Sinead, we need someone like you in the canoe because you have experience. You know, we need to have, like, a little bit of people with experience and some people without experience that way. Because the because there was supposed to be there was a major storm that was happening. And mm-hmm. This was in June, so that's usually when we have like really crazy like hurricanes and things too. June and October, but June is when the jet streams from the south actually come up from the Gulf of Mexico, so the water gets really really rough. So that's mm-hmm. another reason why the Hukalea was able to come north mm-hmm. from the from the south because of that jet stream just pushes them in inward. So, um, so we we were gonna we paddled, and we paddled down the what is known as the Upper Hudson uh, River and the Lower Hudson River, and then the Bay, basically. basically. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's the Atlantic Ocean. So we paddled right into the World Trade Center. So we had two canoes, um, both um, outriggers, Hawaiian Ocean, um, you know, Pacific uh, Ocean outrigger canoes and we were it was so beautiful to see because we actually had more people on the water than we usually do because when you have a canoe that can hold like 14 people 15 people you know you don't really you don't really have people that are not able to get in you can fit more people in because everybody's like oh I want to do it I want to do it but there's no room so it's a it's the important thing is that we're beginning to increase the amount of people were getting on the water. And so that was then. And then about a week after that, we, you know, I, because I had made a speech at the World Trade Center, and so about a week after that, the Hukalea stopped by the same place that the Mishun was, the Mystic. So we did the same thing. Um, you know, myself, I was asked. I didn't think I would necessarily be asked because I wasn't necessarily Pequot, although I do have ties in the Pequot. Um, they asked me to paddle and the same thing, sit in the front and, and do the same. So that time there was more, more so Pequots were in that one and myself and uh, Anawan, who's also Pequot, uh, Anawan Whedon, um, but he is the combination of a lot of sister tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the skipper of that canoe. Um, so we paddled out to greet them and then we paddled them back in and we had ceremony mm-hmm. um, again. Yeah. Well, to... I guess to inform our our listeners, the Hukalea is um, a part of the Polynesian Voyager Society, and it was a group of uh, indigenous Polynesian uh, people who had gathered together to do a voyage in a traditional manner. So now their their canoe was pretty large. (laughs) Remember we were measuring up those 
those um what are they oars um yeah the size <laughs> and um now their their canoe is it's handmade too right and it was made mm-hmm. of um traditional materials but what's sure interesting was. about them is that they use the the star pattern correct yeah they follow the constellations okay. and they've sailed across the world and um, what what's crazy is we had relatives who are on the Hukulea that have been in uh, relations to our families across all the miles, and that was it was we we thought we were just going to meet new people, and they they get off the boat and we're like or get off the canoe and we're like hey we know you <laughs> yeah like, that's right? Kaleo <laughs> didn't we just see it in Washington State. Um, and so it was a, a great experience, but it was very um, uh, emotional for me because I was learning so much about the tribes, but not only that, the importance of of the water, the spirit, and how it, it bridged our communities together. And um, I proudly say I was the land crew. <laughs> you guys gave me a title because yeah, yeah. girl can't swim. <laughs> but I did, I did get to help in little ways. Um, but that that's something that was just really uh, interesting. And um, excuse my speaker in the background. Somebody's going to start talking. Um, but one thing that I wanted to, to share was that the resurgence of building machines and creating machines is happening now after this project. Um, uh, groups of the Muscogee Creek Nation are wanting to do a dugout canoe project. And... Um, where could we go to get resources to learn more about machines and um, this culture that we we've I seen mean, to have I forgotten? Really say, I would really say the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Um, when, and you know, a lot of people make machines, but I'm, I'm going to say that Plymouth Plantation has been holding it down for almost seventy years. All right. So, yeah, like that tells you a lot. They're not fifteen years in. They're not two five years in. And a lot of machine makers have come out of, I mean, pretty much all the machine makers that I know in the Northeast have learned from Plymouth or learned from someone that worked at Plymouth Plantation. Mm-hmm. I know, I remember, I miss, I miss working there because during my lunch break, I'll just go take a machine out. Yeah. <laughs> I said, there's a picture, there is a picture of me in the machine by myself, just hightailing it, just by myself. <laughs> You know, in the machine, the front of the machine is all tipped up off the off the water, and I'm just my fat self is in the back, just loading it down. <laughs> well, one but, thing that I admire is the strength of you and um, some of the other ladies uh, in order to paddle, because you guys got some arms. There's no way I could ever do that um, paddle the way that you do. I remember when you and Sunshine were paddling. Uh, that one time, it was it was crazy seeing the arm power that you guys had, and that the competitions oh, yeah. that you guys have also on the water. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Shinnecock Powwow actually was just this um, this was last weekend, and I was on the committee for our machine race, and um, this is our third year. First year we did it, um, we didn't really have a lot of people. This year, we had, like, five feet, and then we did it carbon neutral. So, basically, um, you just paddle from the shoreline, and myself, 
and Roddy Smith, who um, actually is our uh, Mid-Atlantic Regional Planning Body representative um, for the National Ocean Planning Body uh, for the country, um, he represents that. And he actually paddled kayaks out and anchored his kayak, and I held on to his kayak. And they paddled from the shoreline, paddled around the kayak and back, and they had to go up and give someone a high five to be being the winners. But it was carbon neutral, and we were just saying there's no motor out here. You know, um, it's a healthy way to to get people um, up on time for powwow and make sure that they're in bed by the right time so they get <laughs> up on time. Can't be gossiping all <laughs> you know, some people just didn't go to sleep, so they just went straight to the um, to the canoe race. Uh-huh. But it was a beautiful thing to see because you had some people that were really experienced and it almost seemed like it was an unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. You had some people that were flipping, you know, some people didn't know what they were doing, you know, but the more and more and more we can have these kind of races, the more and more and more people are going to get on the water. And it teaches you a lot about, you know, the water. I mean, these past couple of years, I'll have to say, I mean, it's just crazy how, you know, I just sitting back and look, and I remember in 2011 when I graduated from college and I came home, you know, within that month after graduating, and they had, like, a little flyer on our community center that said, canoe journeys, anybody wants to go, uh, you know, come to the center, come to the basement of the preservation center, and um, we're going to have a meeting about it. So I signed up to go. Mm-hmm. didn't know what the heck I was doing. You know, I mean, I've paddled before, but not as much as I have and on the level that I paddled. Um, and from there, it was just like it was just taken off, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's just the more and more that you spend in the water and if you're, you know, wanting to learn how to make machines. One thing I have to say, you know, we're t- this is an indigenous podcast, so most of your listeners could possibly be indigenous and from some form of community. So what I'm going to say right now is not foreign. Mm-hmm. Um, in our communities, we have a tendency to to hold on our pride so much that we just cannot humble ourselves to ask who mm-hmm. we know knows what they're doing. Yeah, and that's something that has happened to me. You know, I've I've watched people in my own community try to dag on, try to make something, make a machine, or figure something out by watching a YouTube video, mm-hmm. or you know, a step-by-step how-to that was created by someone that wasn't even of that descent or that lineage or that bloodline at all, you know. And so it's like, okay, you either smacking me in the face right now or you just completely just saying, you know what, I humbled yourself and just learned. And that's something that you have to do because the thing about being in the water is you have no choice but to humble yourself. When you're in that water, like, you, there's, you can be as arrogant as you want to be, but the creator kind of has a way of um, spiritually humbling you. Mm-hmm. And then you, you kind of begin to force your way to listen, you know, because your life is at stake. And we're not just paddling in like some little pond or some little creek, mm-hmm. you know. We're actually paddling in um, almost 400, 500 feet depth of water here, mm-hmm. you know. So um, you got to learn how to work together. But, yeah, I would say Plymouth Plantation. I mean, you've got Darius Coombs. You've got Hartman Deeks. You know, you've got Jonathan Perry. You have David Whedon, who's come, who's come out of there. You've got Anna Juan Whedon. You know, um, you've got um, Philip 
Um, you've got a lot of even younger men right now, Keon Jackson. Um, you've got a lot of people that have come out of there that know what they're doing. And because it's been there full time, nine to five, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> so like they go into work and they make a machine. Yeah, uh, for a full year, the they make three of them a year. So they and they've been doing it. <laughs> so it's something that, yeah, we even got one in the Smithsonian. Uh-huh. They went and made one and put it in the Smithsonian Museum because they they didn't have anything that represented really the northeastern um, Algonquin region, anything. So they decided to make a machine and and gift it to um, put it in the museum, in the Smithsonian Museum. Well, I thank you for sharing so much about paddling and machines and your your experience. And um, before we close out, can you give us more information about your projects and where we might be able to get, get in touch with you if we'd like to um, have you come out and do lectures or teach? I, I know you're a museum educator, and you're also a corporate person. Um, so you want yes, to share I some am. <laughs> Well, currently right now, um, and I know that this will probably be archived, so it'll be so interesting to hear where, to know where I am later and listen to this podcast years down the line, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I am, I currently work at Porsche Cars North America, um, the headquarters, um, and I'm the e-commerce marketing manager. So um, I do have a corporate side. I call it my heel side and then my moccasin side. I, um, you know, I, I'm an activist, you know, point blank period, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but mainly a, a water protector and a land protector and a, um, a life sustainer and a life nurturer. You know, that's, that's my job. That's what I've been put here. That's my purpose, you know, and, and I will give my life to do that for my people, you know, um, so whatever it takes. And so the skill sets that I have, you know, um, if there's any way shape or form that I could be of any assistance or just guidance or just put in my two cents or give a resource or, you know, I'm always for it, especially if it's for the betterment of humanity. So um, I can be, I, right now, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff on social media right now. I have a lot of different things in the works. I'm not really going to put that out there too much because um, it's not quite set in stone. Yeah. Um, and it's not quite established, but, you know, it's really about the preservation of, the land, the water, the culture, and the people and our heritage, you know, because if we don't preserve that, it's not really for us as Indigenous people. It's really for the world because our Indigenous ancestral wisdom is what has sustained this world. And if we don't preserve that Indigenous ancestral wisdom, we're not going to be able to sustain this world that we live in, and we're going to perish in ways that we've never seen ourselves perish before. So... I think it's really good for us to start creating those relationships with places like Portia. You know, so by working, you know, at places like that, I'm able to kind of um, to learn, you know, how to work on that level of business, how to learn how to communicate with um, international companies, you know, and and international people, people with different backgrounds, you know, um, and that's something that, you know, I'm I'm kind of finding a way to, to bridge it so I can be followed um, on um, Instagram or Twitter um, at A-P-O-N-I-W-I-N-D that's Apani Wind um, and that is where I can be followed and communicated I 
would love to give um, lectures and hold workshops and just be on panel discussions, you know, just start the conversation, mm-hmm. really among the young people, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you are. We, I, I don't want to say you're young, but you're not old. But you are just right to be able to travel and teach and lecture. And um, and one thing that you're a water protector, you were at Standing Rock, you were most recently at home at Shinnecock um, discussing some endeavors of the tribe and uh, some other projects as well, teaching mm-hmm. about um, uh, Native recognition. Mm-hmm. So um, we can find you at a Pawnee Wind. On Instagram, and is that the same on Twitter? Yes, it is. I okay. try to keep it all the same. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you want to add anything else? Yeah, and I mean, if someone is actually interested in, you know, um, having me come out to their location, or, you know, because I, I would love to. Um, I think it's all about you know that connection that we can make, and each one teach one. I can also, I can be reached on that, I can be followed on that, or I can be contacted via email. I know a lot of people that might be listening may not have these social media platforms, but I can be emailed at um, East Coastal Healing, so that's three words, but all in one, East Coastal Healing at gmail.com. Okay, and then I'll put a link below also um, oh, okay, when we great. get this up on a website. Yeah, and um, also a part of Shanae's regalia is very unique as well, and uh, we'll put some links there to her Instagram sharing her new uh, regalia that she created for Shinnecock Powell, and she's an artist. She does commission work. Sometimes if you catch her just right, she's got some art shows going on. And, uh, (laughs) And then most of all, both of us are just buried in museum work sometimes, curating and um, I have to say that you're one of my best partners that I I prefer to work with in the field because you keep me so organized and she's a great (laughs) event coordinator great educator she's awesome with the kids so um, you guys look for Shanae Bullock and uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up thank you Um, yeah I I was trying to say katabatash the other day but I I don't know if I said it right (laughs) Yeah, you did. You actually oh, you did. Okay. Did. Okay. Yeah. Yay! I got it right second time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, thanks, listeners, for joining us today again. Take a look at First American Art Magazine. They sponsored this podcast. Patreon. It's just one dollar. It really helps. It goes a long way. It helps us get this published and put out into the universe. And being a resource for Native conversations and Native scholarship so thank you for your time listening today and we'll go ahead and close it out all right peace